Gracious Almighty Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for your word. God, we want to come before you and we want to be amazed. We want to see you with fresh eyes. We want to see you in wonder. Lord, let us so see you today that we rejoice and that we put our trust in you and bring glory to your name. We love you, Jesus. Amen. My stepdad was an electrician, and I worked for him off and on for several years. One time we got a call that was to fix one of those lighted signs advertising a company in the mall along 6th Street at Maine in Corona. You know the kind of signs I'm talking about. It had the company's name printed on a translucent piece of glass that stood on a pole some 12 feet or so above the ground. This particular sign was made in the dark ages and was definitely not sturdy, but my dad was tasked with replacing the ballast. So we stood extension ladders on either side of the sign to balance each other, and we proceeded to change the ballast. I got down from that ladder, and I looked up at the fixed sign, and I had a strange feeling. Mystery had been taken from me. I had never seen the inner workings of a sign like that before. I wouldn't have guessed what was inside, but now I looked at everything differently. Stoplights and even breaker boxes lost their mystery. You know, it, it, it seems ridiculous now, but probably only ridiculous because now I know. Now I've seen it. I've replaced dozens of ballasts and breakers in my life. The mystery melted. With the mystery gone, gone also is amazement. One of the chief problems with becoming an adult is that we busy ourselves so much that we lose our sense of amazement. We don't bother looking at the oak trees and be astounded that so many leaves can come from water, air, and soil. We don't bother looking at the fish on the hook and be overwhelmed with every single scale fitting perfectly, allowing that fish to swim. We don't bother looking at the rabbi carpenter touching the unclean man and be amazed by Jesus with his compassion, healing him from terror and shame. If we are to be the childlike creatures Jesus tells us will enter the kingdom of God, as opposed to the childish brutes that roam our city streets today, one thing we must absolutely recover is our amazement, our astonishment at God's great grace. Be amazed by Jesus. This morning, we want to be amazed by Jesus, the Holy One of God. We will see Him here teaching with authority that drives away shame and doubt and unclean spirits. Teaching with authority that drives awe and fear of the Lord into the souls of those who have ears to hear. Teaching with authority that astonishes and amazes those who have eyes to see. Do 
not allow familiarity with the miracles of Jesus to rob you of the amazement and mystery that is your birthright as a child of God. Right now, be amazed by Jesus. Most importantly, in our passage today, we will see that God wants to disturb humanity. God wants to disturb you. He wants to reintroduce to your adult eyes childlike mystery. Because in the ministry of Jesus, God showed up. He showed us his relentless that he is relentless in his tendency to get all up in our face. He is relentless in his willingness to impress himself upon our lives. He is relentless in his labor to begin the judgment that belongs to those who will not hear. No matter where you go or what you do, God is with you. You can trust him to guide you or you can trust him to thwart you. If you have eyes willing to see and a heart willing to be amazed, you will know Jesus and therefore you will love him and trust him. Let's look at our passage this morning in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing the man and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding regions of Galilee. As we begin going through the book of Mark, we will see in chapters 1 and 2 a progression of miracles. Jesus had announced in chapter 1, verse 15, that the kingdom of heaven is available. Now, Jesus proves it. Jesus' miracles demonstrate that authority over demons. He demonstrates his authority over bodily, physical problems. He demonstrates his authority over ceremonial uncleanness. He demonstrates his authority of immobility and incapacity. And the conclusion to these miracles, the point of all of these miracles, all of these demonstrations of power and authority and presence is that Jesus proves he has authority to forgive sins. Grace, unforgiven sin, is your greatest problem and mine. Well, For those of us who trust Him, it is no longer your problem. Therefore, be amazed by Jesus. Let me say this again. The purpose of each of these miracles in Mark's Gospels in chapters 1 and 2 is so that you will know that Jesus can forgive your sins and He can guide you through every other problem you faced. So be amazed by Jesus. 
you and I are reminded to consider our own sin and to reflect on the fact that you too are incapable of saving yourselves. Each of these miracles are crucial, and we will deal with them in turn. But the cumulative effect is to impress the reader, to impress you and me with the authority Jesus has over every aspect of life, including my sin. That is why you and I must be amazed by Jesus. Because it's true. So often in our lives, we face situations, we face relationships that seem impossible. We cannot see how this situation could end well. We cannot see how this relationship can be made right. Humanly speaking, there is death and there is no resurrecting the dead. So it is at this point we must be amazed by Jesus. It is at this point that we recognize His authority over life and death. The physical, the spiritual, our weakness, our hopelessness. Jesus is the King of all kings. He is the President of all presidents. Jesus is the ruler of all. Listen to how Paul puts this point in Colossians chapter 1. He, that is, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom, in the kingdom, in the beloved Son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So He, the beloved Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Now, I read this because we need to understand that Colossians tells us why Jesus has power and authority. And as we begin preaching these several miracles over the next couple of weeks, we need to understand miracles and the Jesus King of kings and president of presidents who makes them happen. So we ask questions. Why are there miracles? And, and why specifically do the evangelists include miracles as part of their description of Jesus' work? In part, so that you and I will be amazed by Jesus. So to start things off, what are miracles? Wayne Grudem says a miracle is a less common activity of God in which he arouses people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Now at this point, it's helpful to discuss John's frame, John Frame's understanding of the title Lord when it is used of God. To call God Lord means to acknowledge that God has the power to control the authority or the right to use that power for his glory and so that he could demonstrate his presence, his everywhereness that is available to anyone who wishes to recognize it. John Frame says miracles are displays of God's control, authority, and presence. Miracles may be defined as extraordinary manifestations of God's lordship. For those of us who are willing 
to be in awe, to experience wonder. Those of us who are willing to be childlike, there is available for us a foolishness that gives life. For those who wish to remain adults in the presence of God, those who wish to be wise and to strike a manly bargain with the Almighty, they have available to them convenient excuses, convenient lies, and a wisdom, so-called, that starves the soul. It darkens the minds and evaporates the spirit. This is why the naturalist can scoff at the miracles of Scripture and is the same reason why the person wise in his own eyes can scoff at the parables. Whereas the Christian acknowledges that we are supernaturalists. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't scoff. We stand amazed by Jesus. But let's look more closely at Frame's discussion of miracles. Described as mighty acts, miracles display the great power of the Lord to control His creation. As signs, they authoritatively reveal Him. As wonders, they create in the hearts of people a religious awe, the fear of the Lord. Because in miracles, we find ourselves in the presence of the living God. Now, frame here uses the three primary terms, both of which are used in either testament that describes miracles, mighty acts, signs, and wonders. And these terms help us to understand why Jesus so often told people to be quiet about what he did. Now, we have already mentioned the messianic secret in this series. Jesus often told observers not to speak about the miracle they witnessed to their neighbors. Why? Why did Jesus tell them to be quiet? Because Jesus is the Savior. He's not merely a miracle worker, and he's certainly not a political deliverer. You see, miracles are not parlor tricks. Miracles are not meant to merely impress people. Ooh, that was a good one. Or to cause people to have something to gossip about. Miracles instead, are meant to bring people to a decision. Wow. Do I want to humble myself before Him or not? Which brings up the question, why miracles? There are at least three reasons for miracles. The most general reason why God initiated miracles is to validate his messengers. He wanted people to see his prophets, apostles, and even his son himself and say, wow, they must really be prophets of God. But that's only one reason. Very often, miracles are specific acts of judgment, or at other times, they are specific acts of redemption. For example... King Herod, struck by worms and dying immediately after he approved the crowd calling him a god, was a miracle of judgment. God opening the hearts and minds of his children to receive his unmerited favor is a miracle of redemption, as was parting the Red Sea and the water gushing out of the rock. You, me, 
repenting of our sins and trusting the promises of God for you in Christ is a miracle. You and me acknowledging that God is in control of the universe and my circumstances. That He has the authority, the right to determine our circumstances. And that He is in fact present with you and sees you in your need whether He changes your circumstances or not. This attitude of trust is very much a miracle. Note, It is, in fact, your heart and mind that makes the decision to do this trusting, this acknowledging, this faithing by grace. And the fact that you make very real, voluntary, eternally significant choices to look to Jesus does not take away from the fact that it is God at work in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. So praise Jesus. In whatever circumstances you're in, be amazed at Jesus all the time. Now, with regard specifically to the miracle of exercising demons, we will look more closely at that when we get to chapter 1, verse 39 in a few weeks. But at this point, what we must see in this narrative is Jesus putting his teaching into effect he said in 115 the kingdom of god has come it is available to you it is as close as your fingertips and to prove chapter 115 is true jesus defeated the strong man so he could plunder satan's house and he could lead us jesus's plunder away from the slave market of fear of death that leads to all kinds of sinful folly. Jesus' teaching, Jesus' authority is such that he can command demons. Jesus can command that which against we have no power. You and I must be amazed by Jesus because Jesus has the authority to do miracles. And even more important than that, Jesus has authority to speak to everyone and everything and have His will accomplished. One day that will be blindingly apparent, though for now, for a very brief time, that glory is hidden. So today you need to choose. Today you need to choose to be amazed by Jesus. So let's break our passage down. Verses 21 and 22. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Mark is not here interested in revealing the content of Jesus' teaching. We've already seen the summary Mark gave. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Mark in this passage is interested instead in the effect of Jesus' teaching. Note that the congregation here is astonished at his teaching Then we get into the time when he casts out the demon. The effect of Jesus' teaching is that those listening perceived 
Jesus to have real authority. Jesus' teaching permitted no debate. They knew, thus saith the Lord. Jesus' teaching permitted no uncertainty. They knew someone more than a prophet was in their midst. Jesus' teaching permitted no room for questioning. They knew Jesus is someone to be feared. Jesus has authority. And that authoritative teaching also means that he casts out demons. Verse 23. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. We see that Jesus' authoritative teaching also revealed his authoritative ability to cast out demons. Jesus has authority and power over the spiritual realm. And let's be honest with ourselves. The spiritual realm is what is most to be feared. It remains true today. Horror films are always spiritual films. They are so popular today in part because we as a culture want to deny the spiritual that our soul knows cannot be denied no matter what our mind wants to believe. The answer to this problem is what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the correct perception that Jesus is bigger and more powerful than you. Jesus is bigger and more powerful than demons. The fear of the Lord is the correct feeling that Jesus is not someone to be trifled with. The fear of the Lord is the correct understanding that we are to keep our eyes fixed on Him no matter what other dangers threaten. Nothing in this world is so perilous as being in a wrong relationship to the man who can cast out demons with the world. That is why you and I must be amazed by Jesus. Famously in this passage, the demons attempt to control Jesus by using what they thought would bar him from casting them out. Using his name. Now, are they really so insane as to believe that nonsense? I don't know. But the clear point is that they understood that Jesus had the authority to do whatever he wished. They knew he was, in fact, going to come and destroy them one day. They didn't know if it was going to be today or not. They knew that Jesus is the Holy One of God. They knew his authority transcends any authority that they might have. Which brings up a very interesting question. What authority do demons have? Well, what we know from Scripture is that the devil is the accuser. He is our adversary who stands at our elbow and, and accuses us before the throne of grace. Satan 
did this to Job. Satan did this to the high priest Joshua. And Satan does this to you as well. Nevertheless, Jesus is greater. Jesus' authority overwhelms any authority that demons may have. Which is why you and I can declare with Martin Luther, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where He is, there I shall be also. Now, there should be a whole lot of praise Jesuses for that. And I think He gets that at least in part from Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. God the Father says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Though your sins are like scarlet, you, whoever you are, wherever you are, believer or non-believer, you can connect to the cross. Because it is in the shed blood of Jesus that washes away your sins. It is what takes the crimson, the scarlet blood of your sin and washes it away. Be amazed at Jesus. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the authority. And Jesus has the presence to be with you. And that power, that authority, and that presence is applied to your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is not demons. Your greatest problem is unforgiven sin. And this is what gives death its sting. The reality, however, is that for those who have trusted the promises of God for us in Christ, there is no unforgiven sin. It is done away with. It is forgotten. It is washed clean. Jesus cast out demons. Jesus healed the sick. Jesus cleansed the filthy. Jesus did these miracles so that you would know. Jesus did these miracles so that you would know that you know. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Oh, grace! Trust this promise. Live this promise. Rejoice every day in this promise. And be amazed by Jesus. Wrapping up our passage, verses 27 and 28. They were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding regions of Galilee. Be amazed. Go to Haiti and see demonic activity live right in front of your face. 
Go to Haiti and see the witch doctors chanting and groups of people dancing around them. It's a scary sight. Lord, don't let them see us in this truck. Demons wreak havoc. Look at the hut of the witch doctor. It's disgusting. It's gross. Demons destroy. And they are unbridled by human ingenuity. Demons cannot be controlled by anything in ourselves, but they are subject to the authoritative word of Jesus. That is why Jesus' fame spread. No one can compete with that. Jesus casting out demons with a word is grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus' best friend John tells us the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. My friends, I almost cannot overstate this. Demon be gone. Sin be gone. Fear be gone. Death be gone. And demons and fear and sin and death must obey. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It is gone. And you, today, right now, can be amazed by Jesus. Now allow me to emphasize this in another way. I want to look at another verse, and I want to see this authority of Jesus. Yes, Jesus spoke to the demons and cast them out, and they left. Praise Jesus for that. And remarkably, those who saw him do this knew that this was gracious. It was gentle. It was caring to those who were in that synagogue. Jesus' authority was gentle. In Luke 4.22 we see, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now, this part of Luke is not talking about the same day that we see in Mark chapter 1. But what we see here is a demonstration that Jesus' authority for you and for me, and for our near ones, is gentle, not harsh. It is gracious. It is life-giving. We don't deserve it. We deserve harsh punishment. My friends, never ask for what you deserve. You will be in hell before you can finish your sentence. But here we see grace, grace, God's grace alive. Praise Jesus. You are not treated as your sins deserve. The cross, the cross, the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is where he banished Satan. He banished his works. And he banished sin and death and fear and hopelessness from your life. This is the most gracious precious, gentle, wonderful thing that can happen to you. So trust God's promises and be amazed by Jesus. Well, how do we do this? How do we be 
amazed by Jesus. I want you to note that my big idea is a passive command. Now, I am following a time-honored tradition rooted in Scripture that acknowledges that many of God's commands cannot be directly obeyed. They must be indirectly obeyed. Paul says, for example, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a whole bunch of passive commands in the New Testament. You are told to be saved, be transformed, be reconciled, be enlarged, separated, perfected, filled, be empowered, be humbled, and be sanctified among others. And note, these are all commands. God means for you to obey them. By the way, just in case you didn't know, God does not mean for you to find excuses or say, oh, well, he'll forgive me. No. God means for you to go to him for grace, for his undeserved power to obey these commands. So, again, the question is, how do we go about it? How do we train ourselves to obey these passive commands? Put yourself onto the path of life. You see, life is about habit. So, develop habits that lead you to experience life. Pray about and consider which habits of yours lead to death, who don't lead to joy. And take off those habits like a dirty shirt. And then expose yourself to mystery with a childlike heart. Start with something easy. Go outside and really look at a tree and picture God making each and every single leaf. See the joy in His face as He's doing so. Remove those blinders of adulthood and rejoice in what He does. Then, Take the next step. Turn over the leaves of Scripture and see Jesus laughing out loud as he looks into the freshly freed man's eyes and he says, You're free. And rejoice. Be astonished. Be amazed by Jesus. Train your heart like this. Go back to His Word and start seeing everything around you differently. You will rejoice. You will praise Jesus. And you will be amazed by Jesus. Lord, in order to see with fresh eyes, we need You to open them. We need You to wash our eyes free of the things and the circumstances and relationships that we covet. And we need to know your power working in us and through us and for us. God, do this so that we will rejoice and we will be the cause, the means of others near us to rejoice as well. We love you, Jesus. Amen.